Good afternoon, everybody. This is the Doctor Football Podcast. I'm Dr. Dennis Tian, and we're here to talk about everything that happened in the NFL over the weekend, week three of the NFL docket, and we're starting to see the league really start to sort itself out. We have a little bit of an idea of who's going to be good and who isn't, who's bad, and which players look like they're doing well versus not. We're starting to see a little bit of things starting to settle. Okay, Across the league, we've never seen rookies have the kind of success at quarterback that they've had in the last couple of years. Rookies and other young quarterbacks, second and third year quarterbacks. Okay, Look at Lamar Jackson last year. Comes in as a rookie, somewhat unprepared, but was put in the right situation, was able to be successful. Okay, Right now, Kyler Murray. Daniel Jones, last year Sam Darnold, Josh Allen. All these guys are coming in and having some success as quarterbacks. Now, they're not making the playoffs or winning playoff games, but they're viable. They're developing on the job. Last night, a Monday night game, we saw a Redskins team that trotted a journeyman quarterback out there, Case Keenum. And we all know, or we should know at this point, that Keenum really is nothing special. He caught lightning in a bottle with the Minnesota Vikings two years ago on a really strong team. But I think it's fair to say that the Case Keenum experiment is kind of over. He's really not a very good quarterback. And that was on full display last night. Turned the ball over five times. It really could have easily been six times or seven times that he turned the ball over. And just didn't look very good. So maybe it's time for the Case Keenum experiment to end in Washington, D.C. It's time for the Redskins to put their young quarterback on the field and see what they have. What does it say about Dwayne Haskins and the Washington Redskins if they're unable or unwilling or don't feel comfortable putting him on the field to live action at this point in the season? Should you be concerned about the development when all his peers, guys taken in the draft comparable to him the last two years, were able to go in and play? Why can't this guy go in and play? Look ahead to the Redskins' schedule. The next four games are Giants, Patriots, the Dolphins, and the 49ers. Now, the Patriots are a tough game in two weeks, but doesn't Haskins have to get used to playing against tough defenses if he's going to be successful? Three or four of those games are winnable games. The Redskins' bye week doesn't come until November 10th, so if you wait that long, you will be 0-6, 0-7, 0-8 before you get the chance to your young quarterback to get in there. It's very hard to believe right now that Dwayne Haskins doesn't give the Redskins a better chance in case Keenum. Two years ago, Keenum was good. But now, I think it's clear he should never be given a starting job again. It's time for the Redskins to bring in Haskins and begin the Dwayne Haskins era of football in Washington, D.C. You know, in the NFL, good coaches are able to make 
weaknesses on their team or able to mask weaknesses on their team and give their team the best chance to win. Look at John Harbaugh last year. Lamar Jackson, dynamic young player, really not ready to be a starting NFL quarterback. Harbaugh found a way to scheme around that. He found a, he found a formula that worked and the team made a playoff run. How about Bill Belichick? He's a master of this, right? Who's better than Belichick at this? Last year in the playoffs, Josh Gordon gets suspended in December. Belichick turns his team into a power running team because that's where strengths lie. That's where strengths are. And Belichick is able to win a Super Bowl morphing midseason into a power running team. That's what good coaches do. Sunday night in Cleveland. You saw why the Browns are going nowhere in 2019. They are not going to do anything this year. They'll be lucky if they're 6-10. and 10. And it's because of their coaching. I've never seen a quarterback run or move through his own backfield as much as I saw Baker Mayfield do so on Sunday night. Now, I'm not a fan of Mayfield. In fact, I think he's got a lot to learn about being a quarterback on and off the field. Okay, but Mayfield had no chance in that game um, this weekend on Sunday. The Browns line is a weak spot. I think everyone knew that going into the year. And if you really looked at that team, you saw that just because they had good skill position talent, they really weren't a well-built team. But the but a good coach finds a way to give his team the best chance to win based on what he has. Look at Bill Belichick versus the Rams in the Super Bowl. Now, I have to point out that the Patriots only scored 13 points in that game. So it wasn't like they did better necessarily in the rounds. But the way Belichick coached and schemed that game, he kept his team in the game and he didn't expose his 42-year-old quarterback to getting destroyed. He was able to make the play in the second half to win the game. The second year for a quarterback is an absolutely critical time in his development. How many times have we seen a quarterback come into the NFL, have a little bit of success, and then completely flame out? Because teams figure him out, because he gets hit, because he loses confidence. Baker Mayfield had no chance to be successful on Sunday night. Okay? He was put in a position where it was up to him to make plays. He was running back there, scrambling around, throwing off his back foot, throwing into coverage. He had no chance. His head coach lacks the requisite experience to be a head coach. Okay, look across the league. Guys like Sean Payton, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, okay, John Harbaugh. You don't think they've learned something from the hundreds of games that they've been coordinators or coaches for? Freddie Kitchens doesn't have that. He doesn't have it. So is it any wonder that his team is at a huge disadvantage? His team looks like they're really not on par with some with, with some of the good teams in the league or even average teams. Freddie Kitchens is going to have a process, a learning process, over the next couple years. He's going to have any hope of being a good coach. But the Browns are a team that's built to win now. That's what we've been told by the, by the media all offseason. But if you look at that team, the lack of experience on that coaching staff, the Browns are going nowhere in 2019. You know, the days of flawless or near-flawless teams are over. 89 49ers. 
the 86 Giants, the 92 Cowboys. It's long gone. It's 2019, and every NFL team has flaws. Last week, we talked about the Patriots. Patriots have an Achilles heel, and we're going to talk about that. Okay, Their offensive line is a weak spot. Okay, But compared to other teams in the league, if you really think about it, the Patriots' Achilles heel is modest. Look at all the best teams in the league. Make a top 10 list. Every single one of those teams has flaws. Okay, Patriots have a great chance to correct their flaws and figure it out. First of all, they have three of their five starters still on their line. And the fourth Isaiah Wynn should be back by the time their schedule gets tough. They have a track record of pulling offensive linemen off the scrap heap and turning them into viable starters. They have Dante Scarnecchia, the best offensive line coach in league history, should be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. They have the best scheme coach in the National Football League in Belichick to mask their flaws and a great system. Okay, Compare that to what we saw in Kansas City on Sunday. On Sunday in Kansas City, the, the Kansas City Chiefs had the chance to put the Ravens away. They had a three-score lead in the second half of that game. And they gave up two late touchdowns because they couldn't stop the Ravens. Okay, And they gave Baltimore a chance to win that game. And Baltimore didn't take it. Baltimore lost. But against a better team, top competition, couple breaks go against you. Okay, your opponent steals that game. Okay, The Chiefs' Achilles heel was on full display this weekend against the Baltimore Ravens. And some of those plays were terrible. They were terrible defensive plays that let Baltimore stay in that game. To me, the Kansas City Chiefs look like the same team that we've seen each of the last three years. A good offense, I think even the last two years you'd say one of the best offenses in NFL history. A great offense, but a very poor defense. Do they have any hope to fix it like the Patriots do? Patriots Achilles heel has a great prognosis. The Chiefs defense, I'm not so sure they do. They have a good coordinator, Spagnola. He's had success against the Patriots. Okay, but other than that, what hope do they have? I think the Kansas City Chiefs this year are going to be very similar to the Kansas City Chiefs in the last two years. And I think when it comes down to December and January, when they get into those tough games, I think it's going to be their defense that holds them back from winning Lombardi Trophy this year. I advised you all last week to look and see for signs of cracks in the Patriots' armor. We all know the Patriots were going to beat the Jets because the Jets are just an inferior team to begin with, and they're starting a third-string quarterback. So they really had no chance, okay, of not winning that game. But watch for the subtle little signs that they're not quite moving the ball well, and the offense looks choppy, Brady getting hit, or sack, the running game not producing. Now really, on Sunday, three of those four things happened. Now Brady didn't get hit very much on Sunday, but it was more because of his ability to release the ball. And he did get hit a couple times, but they can't run the ball right now. The Patriots are a 28th in the NFL. They're averaging 2.8 yards per carry running the ball. Okay, that's pathetic. Consider where they were in 2018. At the end of last year, they were the 
one of the best running teams we've seen in recent NFL history. Okay? Their offense looked choppy, okay, for most of the day on Sunday. Brady and the Pats came out and scored on the first three drives. They were up 20 to nothing. And then after that, they really struggled to put points on the board. And they were put in a great position by their defense on multiple occasions. And they still could only score 10 points. I still think the Patriots will figure it all out by the time they really need to. This week they play a very good Buffalo defense, okay, and a good defensive front in the Buffalo Bills. How many times have we seen the Buffalo Bills start off the year fast and then come crashing back down to earth because they play New England in like week four or week five or week six? I feel like it happens all the time. I still think Josh Allen is turnover prone. He's shown me something the last couple weeks that I didn't think he was capable of. I fully admit it. Okay, He looks like a much better quarterback in 2019 than he did in 2018. But he's still turning the ball over. And against that defense, you cannot get away with mistakes because that defense in New England is the real deal. So... I think the Patriots this week will win this game. I think it will be on the strength of their defense. And I think you're going to have to watch out because I think Brady is going to be getting hit a little this week. I do think they're going to look choppy on offense. But at the end of the day, I will never take Josh Allen against the Patriots and against the defense is good until he proves to me on the field that he can withstand the heat. I want to give you guys one authentic team and one fraud team. And I'm going to start with the fraud team because in the preseason, okay, the Detroit Lions look woefully inept. And I know it's just the preseason. I know that. And you can only put so much stock in it, especially in this day and age where most teams don't take the preseason all that seriously. But it just looked like they really weren't prepared for even preseason level of competition. When they came out in week one, fast forward to week one, against Arizona, a team with holes up and down the roster. Okay, a rookie quarterback making his first start. A rookie quarterback who subsequently struggled at times. And they gave up a two-score lead in the fourth quarter to cost themselves a win and to settle for a tie in that game. Now they're 2-0-1, and they're a darling pick of the media and the national press this week. I still say that the Detroit Lions at the end of this year will be on the outside of the playoffs looking in and Matt Patricia will be on the coaching hot seat if not outright fired by this winter. They have one win against a San Diego team that was one of the most injured teams in the NFL. It's a team that gave up two touchdowns, two touchdowns were taken off the board, fumbled away another one. Okay, they had shot themselves in the foot. Injuries up and down the roster, and they still should have won. This week, they beat a Philadelphia team that was so beat up that their coach actually canceled practice last week. And that team looked like they were out of sync all week. So I'm still not sold that the Detroit Lions are going to be a contending team this year. I think if you really 
look at it, okay, Matt Patricia will likely still be on the hot seat in the winter, and the Detroit Lions will be rebuilding again come the end of this year. Now for my authentic team. Going with the Indianapolis Colts. That team is the real deal. They're a well-built team. They have a good offensive line, a good defense, a good coaching staff. Okay, They've played against good competition, and they've held their own in three games. They're 2-1. They have a young quarterback who we need to stop thinking about where Jacoby Brissett was picked in the draft or the fact that he was traded from one team to the other or the fact that he used to be a backup. We need to start looking at what this guy is doing on the field. Because what he's doing on the field is good. It's beyond good. It's impressive. The Indianapolis Colts play in a wide open division. Jacksonville's in disarray again. Tennessee is the definition, the epitome of mediocrity. And the Houston Texans are mercurial and they have holes on their roster. The Indianapolis Colts are the best built team in that division. And I believe that they will be in it till the very end. They will win the AFC South. I also want to give my stud of the week a player that is just really looking great. And I'm going with someone I already mentioned, Jacoby Brissett. Bill Belichick's greatest strength as a coach is that he's able to look at players and, and has the guts to look at players as they are on the field. And when you walk into the locker room and step on the field in New England, Bill Belichick doesn't care if you were the first pick in the draft or the last. And he has the guts, okay, to back that up. And people think it's a weakness the Patriots have cut all these second-round picks. What they don't understand is that in other NFL programs, guys are getting on the field and staying on the team because they're second- and third-round picks. Belichick's cutting of second-round picks is a strength. If the sixth-round pick or the seventh-round pick or the undrafted free agents is a better player, then Belichick puts that guy on the field. He's not afraid, like most other NFL franchises are, to admit he made a mistake in the draft. So it's actually a sign of a strength when Belichick cuts a second-rounder. We have to stop looking at players as fans based on where they were drafted. It doesn't matter once they step on the field. We need to be more like Belichick in how we look at players. Jacoby Brissett, we have to get over the fact that he was a third-round pick. We have to get over the fact that most of us had never heard of him until he was drafted by the Patriots, unless you were an ACC or an NC State fan. We have to get over the fact that he was traded and that he was a backup for a couple of years. Let's look at what he's doing when he gets on the field. In his year plus as a starter, Brissett, Brissett's achievements and Brissett's performance has exceeded many players that have higher draft pedigree, pedigrees, were taken higher in the draft than he was. Jacoby Brissett has absolutely done more than Sam Darnold. He's done more than Josh Allen. He's done more than Baker Mayfield. Okay, There are... There were two quarterbacks that were taking one-two in the draft a few years ago, Jameis Winston and Mariota. I'd rather Jacoby Brissett than either of those guys right now. In fact, if you look across the lead league, I said last week Brissett was a top 15 quarterback. I was wrong. He's more like a top 10 quarterback. There are probably seven or eight guys you'd absolutely unequivocally take over him. And then there's like four guys you could debate. Dak Prescott, 
Jimmy Garoppolo, Lamar Jackson. Brissett's achievements in his year plus as a starter are in excess than theirs. He's looked better. So let's forget about where he was taken in the draft. This guy's playing like a stud. Completed 16 passes in a row last week. Threw for 300 yards again. Two touchdowns. He's doing it against good competition. He's playing against good teams. He's not softballed. He's not playing against the Dolphins and the Giants and the Redskins. He's playing against decent teams. The Indianapolis Colts have themselves a good quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. It's time we forget about where he was drafted and start looking at his achievements on the field. I want to give you guys one coach that I think should be feeling a little warm today. One coach that's getting warmer. We'll call it lukewarm, warm. And then one coach that's already on the hot seat. So for the lukewarm coach, he's a coach that we know is a good coach. And he won a Super Bowl two years ago. But he made a very unorthodox decision last week. And I don't think it really worked out very good for him. Lukewarm coach is Doug Peterson. Peterson did something very unusual. He canceled Wednesday practice last week. It was a gamble he took that I don't think paid off very well. Look at how the Philadelphia Eagles came out and played this weekend. They look sluggish. They look mentally and physically unready to play in the game. On the opening drive, the Eagles came out and had a decent drive. They scored a field goal, took a 3-0 lead against Detroit. They subsequently gave up the kickoff. For a touchdown after that. Play that happens maybe once every couple years to any given team. It's just a very, very bad look for a team to come out and play like that, give out a give up a kickoff return for a touchdown on a team that gave up its Wednesday practice, forfeited it. So Peterson's a great coach, and I still think when it's all said and done, the Eagles are going to fix it. They're one and two right now. But I still think they're one of the best teams in the NFC. They got to get a little bit more healthy and they got to get right. But let's be honest how many times over the last 10 years have the Patriots been beat up? Okay, and had injuries up and down their roster and still found a way to beat a team in their home stadium. Okay, a team that's team okay look at look over through the years it happens to the Patriots all the time where people think they're not going to be able to hold it together because of injuries and they plug in guys and they find a way to get it done okay the Philadelphia Eagles have to do that if they want to be considered a real Super Bowl contender or perhaps the NFL's next dynasty which they have the talent to be at that level but you can't lose games the Detroit Lions at home just because you got seven or eight guys on the injury report. That's not what makes a contending team. It's not what makes a dynasty-level team. So I think the Eagles will pull it together. I think they're still one of the best teams in the NFC, if not the NFL. But this week was not a good look for their coach, and he deserves to feel a little bit of heat in Philadelphia. Okay, for the warm coach, I'll give you none other than the reality TV star himself, John Gruden. Okay. The Oakland Raiders have been on a run of pathetic play okay, for like 20 years. 5-11, 6-10, 4-12—it's been ongoing. The Raiders were one of the great franchises of the NFL for the first 30 or 40 years of the league. 
They've become a laughing stock. John Gruden came in 10, 15 year hiatus from coaching, whatever it was. He did a total gut job of that franchise with one key exception. It just looks like right now, like whatever he's doing, whatever he's done isn't working. The Raiders of 2019 do not look all that much different than the Raiders we've seen for the last decade or two. John Cruden goes down. It's going to be his quarterback, Derek Carr, that that bring that that takes him down. Because Carr came into the league and looked pretty damn good in his first couple years. He had a year where he really could have been the MVP had he not gotten hurt. But right now, Derek Carr looks like he can't even be a, a viable NFL starter. He looks like he's regressed. He looks worse now than he did last year or certainly two or three years ago. Not a good place to be for a guy that's mid-career. If John Gruden goes down, it's going to be because of his, his hitching his wagon to Derek Carr. I think the heat has turned up on Gruden. The Raiders are going to Vegas next year. Okay, They want to make that move on back-to-back 5-11 or 6-10 or 4-12 type campaigns. With a, with, a, with a mediocre at best quarterback? The answer is no. So I think both Gruden and his quarterback are on the warm seat right now. The Raiders had a nice win to start the year. They looked good. It looked like maybe they had turned over a new leaf. When you've had a decade like the Raiders have had, any win is a good win. Any win is a good win. A Denver team is hapless and rebuilding. But any win is a good win for the Oakland Raiders. All that said, they've been completely outclassed the last two weeks, and they look no different. Gruden is officially moving towards hot seat status. And when he gets there, he'll find our coach that's on the hot seat. Already. Only took three weeks. But his brother, Jay Gruden, in Washington. The Washington Redskins look hapless. They look pathetic. And... If I'm Daniel Snyder, this is what concerns me about what I've seen from the Washington Redskins so far. On Monday night, the Redskins came out and they were emotionally and physically unready to play a football game. And the Bears devoured them in the first half of that game. They were down 28 to zip. 28 to 3, I think, at halftime. And you know what? In the second half of that game, a couple things went the Redskins' way. They played better. And they were very competitive with the Bears in the third quarter, in the first half of the fourth quarter, until Case Keenan made another bonehead play on a fourth and inches QB sneak. The Redskins had the ability to play with the Bears. The Redskins didn't lose that game because they were outclassed by talent. The Redskins lost that game because... They were unwilling and unready to play a football game. If they had played the whole game like they played the third quarter, that would have been a close game. That has to be concerning if you're the owner of that team. Why isn't your team playing 60 minutes? It's only 16 games a year. It's a short season. And every single play and snap counts. The Redskins have been able to win that game Monday night at 1-2. and two, They're really not that far out of it. Now they're 0-3. If you think an 0-2 is a bad start statistically, look at the numbers for teams that go 0-3. It's worse. They were kind of playing for their season at home in week three on a Monday night. And that's what they produced. Does not look good. 
Jay Gruden is already on the hot seat. They have four easy games coming up. Well, four, I shouldn't say. They have three of their next four games are easy games. They have the Giants, the Patriots, the Dolphins, and the 49ers. Three of those four games are winnable games. But the Redskins, if they go 0-7 or 0-8, I don't think Jay Gruden will make it past their bye week, which is November 10th. It's only week three, but Jay Gruden is officially on the hot seat. I want to give you one go to the week every week. And as much as I would love that to be Case Keenum this week, because that was a truly pathetic performance on Monday night. He, he had five turnovers. If you watch that game, <clears throat> he should have had six or seven. He should have, and he threw for 300 yards. He threw for two touchdowns. He was shaky all night. I mean, I give the guy credit. He's a scrappy player. And if you have to have him as a backup quarterback, you could do much worse than Case Keenum. But he's just not a starting quarterback in the NFL. And he's killing that franchise right now. They're in limbo. They're in neutral. It's time for them to pull the plug and go to Haskins. We talked about that already. But I can't give him the GOAT because there's an even bigger GOAT this week. And not the good GOAT in the good way. Not the Tom Brady GOAT. The GOAT is in the loser of the week. And I have to go with Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown had the chance to do something historic in New England. You saw a little snippet of window into it in Miami. That was a no training camp, almost no practice, and he still caught a touchdown and a couple passes against the hapless Dolphins team, granted. I don't blame the Patriots for bringing in Antonio Brown. I really don't. I think it was really cheap shots to blame them. This is the NFL. And they're trying to win football games. There was no allegation of sexual misconduct against Antonio Brown when the Patriots signed him. All that happened after. When Patriots signed him, he had had a bizarre six-week run. But he had spent years in Pittsburgh where there really wasn't any issue with him for a long time. You really didn't hear any negative energy or buzz around Antonio Brown until a little bit two years ago. And then... Some last year for sure. And then they pushed him out. And then this year, all of a sudden, he went absolutely manic in Oakland. But if you're New England, you're thinking, we have the best program in the league. We have the strongest locker room in the league. We have the best and strongest head coach in the league. And we have a track record of rehabilitating stars or players that have had problems elsewhere. So if if Antonio Brown was going to be successful anywhere... It was going to be in New England, that Bill Belichick locker room. I don't blame the Patriots for saying the same thing and taking a shot on the guy. Of course, two days after they sign him, he's alleged to have sexual misconduct in a civil lawsuit. Well, that's not a criminal charge. And that puts the Patriots in a very difficult position. I would think they might themselves be vulnerable to liability if they cut a guy based strictly on an allegation. And they're not going to cut a guy and forego a signing bonus based on an allegation because that's indefensible. That's indefensible. You're still paying him at that point. So they were kind of stuck with him. It was a tough break. I mean, they knew what they were getting. Don't get me wrong. They took a chance on a guy who had a shaky off-the-field history. But no one thought he was a sex criminal when they signed him. And then that came out. But there were still two sides to the story. A civil lawsuit takes years to play out. So if you're Belichick and Kraft, you're hoping that things die down, 
He starts playing on the field, quiets down a little bit, and the civil lawsuit plays out. And that's what really should have happened. But then Brown did something very stupid in messaging and really threatening one of his accusers. And at that point, there was objective, concrete, black and white information that said Brown had done something wrong. Well, then the Patriots did the right thing. That was the first time they really had absolute information that Brown had committed some sort of misdeed against one of these women. And the Pats acted accordingly. So I think at the end of the day, I don't blame them for bringing him in. And I don't blame them for cutting him based on what happened. The loser is Antonio Brown. He's the one that couldn't hold it together. And it's a shame because if he could have stayed with New England and Brady, they would have accomplished something historic this year. It looked like it was going to work on the field from what we've seen. I'll say this. There are teams out there that are watching Antonio Brown closely. I guarantee it. And I will, unless Antonio Brown ends up on the commissioner's exempt list, you will see him play in an NFL uniform in 2019. There are teams that are watching and waiting, hoping the situation settles down so they can bring this guy in and give him a chance on the field. And he is such a great player that he will absolutely get another chance. couple quick hit observations around the league, and then we're going to wrap it up. I told you last week, Carson Wentz may not be as good as we thought. Okay, just want to make the point. He really didn't look great again this week. He, he, he did okay. His numbers look okay. But what has changed since, since the last week's you know pathetic game in Atlanta and then a loss at home to Detroit? When does Carson Wentz start getting some heat? I think it's going to start happening. But, but. If I had to put my money down, I still think that Philadelphia team figures it out. I really do. Patrick Ewing effect. In the early 90s, there was a year Patrick Ewing went down. He was the Knicks' whole team. He was their franchise. He went down, and somehow the team was better without him because everyone else played harder. Very quietly, the Pittsburgh Steelers played a really good game last week. I know everyone thinks they're done and over with, but I still think that team is a good team. I think the Fitzpatrick, Minka Fitzpatrick trade was a good trade for them. He looked great on the field. He looked great. He forced a couple turnovers. He was all over the field. Mike Tomlin's still a good coach. I'm not ready to write off the Pittsburgh Steelers yet. It's hard to make the playoffs when you go 0-3. They're probably not making the playoffs. But I think, I think they'll be a very competitive team as the year plays out. Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco turned the ball over a bunch again this week. They won. They're 3-0, and so no one's asking questions. But Garoppolo's only started, what, like 13, 14 games as an NFL quarterback? We still haven't had a great look at him. Right now, you'd have to put him in the range of like 15 to 20 if you were to rank the quarterbacks. And I think you got to be watching very closely. If Jimmy Garoppolo keeps turning the ball over, they're not going to win many games against good teams. Look at the teams they've beat it, beaten so far. They beat... Tampa Bay, okay, who's hapless. They beat Pittsburgh without Roethlisberger. And the Redskins, is that the other team they beat? I think the Redskins. It was, an, it was another soft win. So they're not beating world-beating teams. And Garoppolo's turning the ball over. And he's looking shaky at times. But they're still winning. As the next few weeks play out, don't be surprised if the heat turns up on Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Okay, so that's all the time I'm going to take today. If anyone actually listened to this, I want to say thank you. I've always said listeners are overrated. I'm having fun doing this. But we're definitely going to come back on Friday. We're going to take a look at Thursday Night Football, and we're going to talk about the upcoming week four. It'll be the quarter mark, the quarter pole of the NFL. Hard to believe that we're 25% of the way through the year for most teams coming this weekend. But at that point, we'll have plenty to discuss. It's always a lot of good things that happen on and off the field that we can go through. So we'll see you on Friday. We're looking forward to a great week. Everybody have a great week out there. Take care, be well, and we'll talk more on Friday. Thank you so much for listening.